Well, today I just I want to start by praying. We I know we prayed a lot, but prayer is where the action is. Amen. So let's just pray, Lord. Thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for Jade's leadership and worship, and thank you, Lord, for the amazing team that's set up. Thank you, Lord, for those who've gathered here. And Lord, I pray that as you looked at the masses and you knew every one of their stories intimately and intricately, and only you know how to serve everybody more than enough bread and fish to go around. And I just pray, Lord, for that appropriation of grace that flows from your very throne, that it would touch people this morning. I pray, Lord, that there would be a face-to-face encounter with your love, with your truth, with your grace. And I pray that with that encounter, you'd give us an invitation to follow you fresh, to abide in you and to obey you in all things and for all things. We just give you all of the glory, all of the honor, and all the praise. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Um, just be on the lookout here. September's coming. It's just right around the corner. We're going to be, uh, uh, drove down this morning with Raphael with some setup time. And uh, I said, man, don't you think, you know, September's coming. Um, should we do some sort of 21-day prayer with mixed with some fasting? And, and he's like, yes, pastor. And so just be on the lookout. Who wants to press in? Who, who thinks there's a few things to press in for in our nation, in our personal lives, in our city, for our families? There is so much to, to seek the face of God, the power of God, the, the healing of God. Amen? There's so many things. And so just be on the lookout for that on our webpage and all of our social media streams and, and emails and and I do, before I get any further, I do want to just honor and thank my wife, wherever she went. She's over there. Just can we give a shout to Haley? My wife is uh, just really, she's my, by a long shot, my way better half. And You know, you don't just pastor a church and do things like a master's degree without an incredible, uh, supportive, amazing wife. And so, babe, I just honor you. I love you. You're amazing. You're really, really amazing. Thank you for being my wife and my best friend. Thank you to Mimi and Papa who took the kids Friday night so we could have a date. Come on, somebody say amen. Praise God. Well, if you have your Bibles, open them up to 2 Peter. It's right near the end of your Bible. Second Peter. Second Peter, chapter two. Say amen if you're there. Got your smartphones out, your devices, whatever it is. This is a very lighthearted verse. 
That was a joke. These people are like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and killed. They slander. They don't understand. Verse 13, suffering the penalty of wrongdoing. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime, their blots and blemishes, reveling in their dissipation while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable sin, super great, great company of people there. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. My goodness, accursed children. Skip on down to verse 17. Basically, it's a generation. It's those who've cast off all restraint. We're we're in part two of talking about desire. That really, discipleship, which is the lifelong journey of being formed into the image of Jesus by his grace, by his spirit. This long journey of being transformed from the inside out to be more and more like our King Jesus. That central to that, that journey is being totally reprogrammed in the place of our desire. If you agree, say amen. Those things you crave after, those things you long for, those things you want, those things you go after. And so how many believe that it is a contested space, the space and place of your desire? If you agree, say amen. That, that we are in contested space for desire. In other words, you didn't wake up this morning in a neutral environment. How many believe we are in an actual war? There's principalities, there's powers. And what, what makes the war worse is not just that there is a, an enemy called the enemy who has, you know, a legion, an army of the demonic realm, but there are people humans who were born with the image of God who've come into agreement with the enemy and so it so the war that we're in is so multifaceted multi-layered but all of it really is an is is a a battle the tip of the arrow of that battle is aimed at your heart for the desire of your heart you can really kind of just boil it all down what are you actually going after? What are you craving? What are you longing? What are you ultimately desiring, hoping in, and hoping for? And it's at that place, Jesus is like, that's what I want to transform to look most like me. That he calls it this, that you would live a lifestyle where you don't just try to seek, you want to seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. You'll want to live your life built on the wisdom of my counsel, of my word, of my of my, my principles, my oracles. You'll love my law. It won't be something that just hangs over your head and you think, oh, this stinks. I got to choose righteousness and say no to you know, lust and greed. But he wants to so transform the people that bear his name that we delight in what is good, what is true, what is just, what is beautiful, and what is right. This is the whole journey of discipleship. And it's this little faith, like... like how many, how many have ever been at this phase? You know what is right, but you don't do it. I got seven honest people in the house. And then you, you, you know, you, you, you meet Jesus and then now you know what is right and you strive to do right. Who's ever been there? You're striving. Like, 
I know, right? And now I've got some grace in my life, the Word. I'm starting to grow, and I'm striving. But I'm here to tell you, that is not the end of the journey as a disciple. And we all said amen. There is a place in the grace of God, not where the battle's ever over, but where you know what is right, and you delight to do it. You want to do it. It's a good old Wesleyan preacher up here. We believe in the grace of God, not to just like get you into glory as a sinner, you know, loving sin and kind of loving the Savior, but you can grow by the grace of God, by His power, by His Spirit, where you don't just know what is right and strive, you actually begin to delight in the very ways of God. By the power of His, his re, re, reforming, transforming grace. And so when you... When you the passage we're going to look at is the opposite of that, being the, the place of desire being formed by a narrative like we looked at last week, where God is not existent, where you are at the center of your story, and the highest good is you satisfying the cravings, longings, and lusts of your flesh. How many know that that narrative is rampant in our generation, and every generation for that matter? That's what this passage is about. Look at this. Here, 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 verse 17 of 2 Peter. These are waterless springs. So why is it still called a spring if it's waterless? Anyway, mists driven by a storm. For them, the deepest darkness has been reserved. For they speak bombastic nonsense. And with licentiousness, in other words, casting off restraint. Just unbridled desire. Follow, sow your wild oats, man. Desires of the flesh. They entice people who've just escaped from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For people are slaves to whatever masters them. Let me say that again. People are slaves to whatever masters them. So here's the picture. They're waterless springs. They're the life of the party. They may have the loudest, largest Twitter following. They've got mainstream track in every move they make, promising freedom, promising life. But the problem is they're waterless springs. Are you seeing that? The problem is that they are missed in the midst of a larger storm raging around them that for a moment they may have a place of stability, of popularity, of fame, of fortune, but there is a storm raging up in which they will be just swept up as a mist, even though they're in a moment of prominence. And then here, they entice people. They promise them freedom. This is the verse that drops like a million pounds in my soul. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. I'm here to tell you that any narrative that's being sold in our generation that has you at the center, that has your highest good and all of your needs and, and longings and wants and preferences met, that that story that revolves around you, that has God on the outskirts or all the way erased, is not a story that will lead to the satisfaction of your ultimate desire, which is for life, only found in Jesus Christ. And this passage is so profound. They promise freedom. The narrative is so compelling. You're, you're the most important person on the planet. What you want is what matters most. 
And the Lord says they promise freedom, but they're promising you freedom when they themselves are trapped behind bars that are impenetrable by sheer human effort. That only the grace of God can unlock that thing and set the human, human heart free and, 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 and enable humanity to walk in the way that is good, right, true, just, and beautiful, the way of Jesus Christ. And so that phrase just is really, if you get anything today, it's that phrase. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. People are slaves to whatever masters them. I didn't write this. This is the word of the Lord. And I believe that this is a real commentary of our time. And the problem is you can blame the world, but so much of what has been preached behind pulpits of no doubt what I have perhaps been guilty of over the 13, 14 years I've been preaching is a kind of Christianity that is laced with gospel truths. You'll go to heaven when you die or whatever, but didn't take the demands and call of discipleship serious, which is to go all the way in the grace of God and experience the abundance and the freedom of the grace of God. That even in Christian circles, the narrative can still sound very much like I just described. That life revolves around you, or God would never ask you to do something hard. Come on, someone, you've heard it, you've seen it. Hopefully not for me, but it's out there. That even your Christian experience and your Christian story is that God would never ask you to sacrifice anything or to be sacrificial or to love someone you didn't agree with or to serve those that you wanted to punch in the face instead of to wash their feet. Come on, somebody. But this is Jesus Christ we're talking about, and he just has no problem just being the truth because he is it. He's the truth. And the biggest promise out there is freedom, autonomy, where you can author and star in your own story with no restrictions, no vision of right or moral or wrong, no outside voices have the right to stifle your own unique preference, expression, or desire. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slave to corruption. And friends, this, this isn't ammo so that you go out as a, the most unwinsome Christian and just tell everyone they're a slave to corruption, but it's to have wisdom and understanding that you're not just dealing with youthful zeal or energy or old stuck in your way, grumpy. You're dealing with people enslaved to that which they ultimately desire and long for, of which the only remedy is to follow Jesus Christ. So this isn't ammo so you get self-righteous like we so easily can function in. It's to drive you to your knees that a problem that is unsolvable by humanity then calls the church to go into that posture where heaven's resources and provision and power is released. And that's called the place of prayer and practicing the way of Jesus Christ as a way of life. Those two things release the grace that alone can open those who promise freedom while they're slaves to that which they promised to deliver on. And the only hope is not to fight fire with fire, but to appeal to a higher reality. The only one who can unblind the minds of unbelievers is the one who gave sight to eyes to begin with, Jesus Christ. And this is the moment we live in where we are diagnosing problems, but if the appeal doesn't go higher to the only one who can address that problem and not just address it, but cleanse and transform and, 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 and write a new story out of the rubble of the mess that we create so often by authoring our own stories, that only Jesus Christ can step into that place and do what is necessary. 
The biggest promise out there is autonomy and authoring your own story. It's the highest good. But Jesus Christ has a higher good called not just losing, you know, we think, you know, Jesus Christ tells us to deny ourselves and take up our cross. And if you don't understand how compelling Jesus is, that can sound like back in the garden. You can have all of the garden except for one tree. But how many know that when you say yes to the yoke of Jesus, to his teachings, to his truth, what you find on the other side of denial and of saying no to me being the ultimate chief of the story is the life that you actually craved and longed for. On the other side of that place, so, that, so Peter tells us that people are slaves to whatever masters them. Paul said it too. Man, it's like the apostles agree on something. Don't you know that if you present yourself to anyone, Romans 6, 16, that you're as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. Look at this option, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to to righteousness. I guess what, according to the Bible, slavery isn't an option. That's how strong the human heart of desire is. When the Bible says you are either, it means you are either. Amen. You are either a slave to sin, which leads to, starts with a D, ends with an F, or you're a slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness, Verse 22 and 3 of the same chapter, which leads to holiness, which leads to eternal life. Are you tracking with me? That's how strong the human heart is. You are not just a brain on a stick. You are not just a person that has random thoughts and random desires. You are a desire factory. And whatever can get in and claim your heart is that which you just by nature will serve because your heart is such a strong muscle. It's the center of your being, the core. That's why he says, above all else, guard it because everything from life flows from that place on the inside of you. And this is why Paul's not, he's not just, he's not, he's not off in his theology. You just are either a slave, either or. Why? Because that's how strong the human heart is. It's, a des- it's the desire muscle. It's the place of ultimate. It's the place of allegiance. And it's the place that Jesus Christ wants to come under his yoke so that that which you actually desire for, he can deliver on because he's the fountain of all that is good, all that is true, all that is right, all that is beautiful, all that is holy, all that is actually able to deliver on what it promises. Why? Because every promise in him is yes and amen. It's always yes in Jesus Christ. And it's either or. Say it with me, either or. Either or. Listen, this is why it's so important to ask for wisdom as a regular prayer in your life. Lord, give me wisdom. Let me see what actually is happening around me. And maybe even a better prayer. Lord, give me wisdom to see what's happening in me. Because I want you to be the center and the seed of all that is in me that that I desire, that I crave and long for. Because it's either or, man. You're either a slave of sin, which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness i don't know if i'm getting it across 
this is this this passage illustrates the whole premise of this series that we're in on desire. That's how listen, the human heart doesn't just dabble in things, it serves things. That's what I'm trying to say. It's you don't live in neutral territory. You, you, there is an all-out battle for your heart. Jesus said this very very famous passage, one of my favorites. In John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you continue, or in the Greek, abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Come on, somebody. So that's the problem with the narrative that casts off restraint, that erases God, pushes him out of the story. When you take away both the map and the compass for that map, what are you left with? I did an altar, and please go to our social media. I've been doing about three or four days of altars online just to help bless our church and just for my own soul, just to keep that fire burning. And I know we have an altar on Thursdays in person, but I, 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 I did one altar where it was mostly just all prayer, but Isaiah 59 paints the picture of those who've cast off where truth is like a drunk staggerer in the streets, and truth is nowhere to be found. And, and the prophet Isaiah paints that generation and the... The, 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 the reality of those people as those who are blind, groping along the wall, hoping. And that's why Jesus said, if you're my disciple, you'll, you'll abide and you'll continue in my word. You won't dabble in what I think. Your whole life is to be reoriented by the truth of who I am, what I'm about, what I'm doing, what I promise to do. This is your life as a disciple. Come on, I'm trying to say this is an hour for the church to say yes to discipleship. To move beyond, I prayed a prayer, I did the check mark on the box. I want to say yes to following Jesus for all of life. How many need, how many think Jesus could help us and maybe transform every part of our life if we took him seriously in it? And look at this, verse 33, they answered him, we are descendants of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you'll be made free? Jesus answered, verse 34, very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household, but the son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, come on, someone say it, you will be free indeed. So I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not like slavery in the, in the sense that people are walking around with physical chains. That's why Jesus' contemporaries can say, dude, what are you talking about? We're not slaves of anyone. Come on, how many know that's the generation we're in? We just think, oh, I'm, I'm the star. I'm the center. The story's about me. What I want, you can't say anything that would offend or somehow correct me or challenge my, my life or my opinion or my ideology. And Jesus is like, even though you may not know you're enslaved, it doesn't change the fact that you are. And look at this. We are bound to some story that promises some version or vision of the good life, but only the gospel of King Jesus can bring about true freedom and transformation. Only the star story that revolves around him, 
that has Jesus Christ, the cross, and the kingdom, and the covenant right at the center, and you and I as co-participants, only that story can actually deliver on what it promises, which is to make all things new, which we will see increasingly as, as, the, as the end of the age dawns upon us. We're going to see it. That story alone can bring freedom. I love this. And because of that, the gospel is the only story strong enough to actually take all of our misplaced loves, our disordered affections and desires, and transform them into that which is truly good, which is truly life-giving, which actually leads to abundance. Back to the original passage that this whole talk was built on. Promising freedom. Promising freedom. While they themselves are are slaves to their corruption. Promising freedom. If, man. How many think that we're in a day where there are a million promises out there, but there's only one who is the promise maker and promise keeper. And it's only going to happen if you continue in my word. Come on, someone say, you got to continue in it. Not dabble, not check in occasionally. Continue in it. You'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. This is why my, the ultimate quote I came across in the last year, of all the stuff I've had to read, this one might be my favorite by John Ortberg. There is no problem in life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. Apprenticeship is another modern version word for discipleship, to be a student. You know, like apprentice, you're an apprentice to the master plumber or painter. You're an apprentice. Like you're with someone who's further down the road, more of an expert, has a lot more credibility, a lot more insight. You're an apprentice to that person. Just say amen if you understand apprentice. So Ortberg is saying there is no problem in life that apprenticeship to Jesus. How many think Jesus is the master of life? He probably is just by the sheer fact that he is life and he created all life. And Ortberg is saying there's no problem. That doesn't mean there's not problems. Come on. There's just no problem, pain, adversity, difficulty, that if you'll follow Jesus in and through it, that he won't open a door for you to the other side. There's nothing in life that's too difficult that a life submitted, surrendered, and practicing the way of Jesus, that doing that cannot lead to resurrection life. This is what he promises. We're slaves to our desires. It's not an option. It's who is your master? Who is your master? That's how strong the human heart is. You're serving someone right now. And I think Jesus is the best option out there. I mean, 
How many have ever been under the, the, the rulership, the lordship of another master who wasn't like Jesus? How'd that go for you? See, this, is, this changes the game. I was reading a book by Dallas Willard, who's one of the most important voices, maybe of the last hundred years, maybe longer, as it pertains to formation and discipleship. And I just bought the book. He died in 2013. It was the last conference he did. They made his sessions a book. So it's like a dying man's, one of the wisest men of our generation, giving his last few words. It's really good. You should buy it. But his argument is, when we understand how glorious the invitation to say yes to being an apprentice of Jesus, you won't have to work something up to be a good witness. Your life will be so ravished and transformed by who he is that people will want what you have. And this has not always been true of the church in every age. It's not been true of me, my goodness. So I'll make that way more personal. But I so want to say yes to the truth that is Jesus Christ and to, to the way of Jesus Christ, to the life of Jesus Christ, that as I say yes and I walk in that way, that from, for those who are so exhausted by all of these promises that promise freedom, but they just can't deliver, that when people see a life, a people, a marriage, a business, when they see a life that's rightly ordered and oriented around something other than the, the, the common narrative of culture, when they see people flourishing in the everyday, normal, mundane stuff of life, people will begin to ask questions. Because how many believe we are in a, it seems like everything's shaking, everything's falling apart. So simply following Jesus in the everyday stuff of life will become one of the most compelling visions in the hour. Just trusting and following Jesus, not personal, private, but like where all of his ways begin to inform all of your ways. All of your ways, all that you give your heart, your hand, your energy, your effort, time, treasure, talent. When you follow Jesus Christ in all of life, all of those areas are a window that the world can look through to see the one that you serve. That's the great hope. That's the great hope. Stand on your feet with me. Stand on your feet. This is my favorite. I'll just give you two quotes. I've written a little book on the yoke of Jesus. It's a little ebook, but I wish I would have read this first. I'm definitely going to add this on version two that's going to be longer. Dallas Willard was asked, what is the yoke of Jesus? It's that, you know, I was discipling a guy a couple weeks ago, and I gave him two passages that I think disproportionately carry weight. I love all of the Bible. You have to hear me. I love the Bible, all of it. But these two passages, if you can practice them, you'll be on your way. One passage was the come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, right? Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30 is gold. It's like the platinum of the scriptures. And the other one was obviously John 15, abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in my words. As you abide in me, I'll abide in you and you'll bear much fruit to the glory of my father. Amen.
So Dallas Willard, right before he passed away, was asked, what is the yoke of Jesus? What does it mean? I just think that's what all of life is, to, to say yes to Master Jesus. And he's the best master you could ever serve. He's the best, greatest Lord. And he said, what is the yoke of Jesus? Well, his words. This language referred to oxen in Jesus' day. It can refer to a horse or other animals. It speaks of two animals being yoked together to pull a load. And I don't know why I've never seen this through these terms. To be in the yoke with Christ is to pull his load with him. I always took the verse to mean I can't wait to offload all my junk. But after I offload all my junk, you're yoked with someone who's pulling something. I know you all already got that. I already wrote a book on it, a small, small book. But I didn't, I always was, because again, I'm still getting saved and healed from the story that revolves around me. Anybody else? Come on, anybody else? (laughs) You don't just get saved once from that story. It's every day going further into the counter story of Jesus' kingdom, his glory. You get it. So to be in the yoke with Christ, yes, it's to have your burdens lifted and all this, but it's to begin to carry and to pull the, the weight of what Jesus is pulling. So Willard brilliantly, you know, very wise man, was asked, well, what's Jesus's load? How many would say, I know my load right now, the load you're carrying? And how many know we could spend our lifetime just focusing on offloading our own load and that's the furthest we get? How many think there's more? Say there's more if you think there's more. And so Willard was asked, okay, if I'm learning to carry his load, well, what is his load? And this is the, this is the best. The best. It is to bring the reign of God into ordinary human life. I've never seen it. I don't know why. I've studied. I've had it memorized for 20 years. Jesus Christ is pulling a load... And he's trying to bring the reign and rule of God into the everyday, ordinary life of human experience. It's called the kingdom of God. Jesus, where is your load? I'm just trying to fuse the gap between heaven and earth. This is the load I'm carrying. Yes, I'm so glorious that when you give me all of your sins, all of your heaviness, all of your burden, all of your despair, all of your adversity, all of your pain, all of your sorrow, all of your suffering, I will lift that off of your back. Praise God. He's that powerful. But he's like, eventually, I don't just do things for you. I want you now to do things with me. And I've got a load I'm carrying, and I want heaven to flood the earth. I want my reality to become the reality of your family, the reality of your friends, your network, and your workplace, and your city, your culture, your nation, and the nations. I have a load I'm carrying, and I want someone to carry it with me. That's not because Jesus is selfish. He knows that when we begin to carry that load, our load pales in comparison. We find we have a new master. There's a better, more compelling story to give all of our energy and effort. It's called seeking first the kingdom of God. That's the story. That's the load that Jesus is carrying. And I love Willard because he never lets it just be super spiritual. He says to bring the reign of God into ordinary human life. So this isn't just when you feel you're being super spiritual. It's when you're doing dishes and the reign of God is breaking into your kitchen. I am not exaggerating. 
It's when the reign of God is breaking into your workplace because you're a person of integrity, because you're carrying the load with Jesus. It's a million little things that you and I do every, do every day, but now it's looking to Jesus and allowing him to manifest his way, truth, and life in and through your life so that those around you can see that there is another kingdom, another king, another master who's taking students as we speak. All right. And in closing, that is why he came the way he did lived the way he did, died the way he did. In the midst of a world of ordinary human life, he was pulling the load of bringing the kingdom of God into ordinary life. That was his message, and it was his message to everyone, to pull the load with him, the reign of God into ordinary life. And man, if there's an hour to carry what you should be carrying in this hour. It's this hour. I have a talk. I'm going to bring up next week some things that we need to talk about. But one of the things that's so heavy in this hour is you are being called to carry weights, to get behind causes, things that are there kingdom dynamics involved in them? Absolutely. But you've got to carry the weight of this call of the cross and the kingdom with Jesus Christ first before you can get to those other things. And you'll find as you're yoked with Jesus, he has something to say about every issue of life, every issue of injustice, every issue of difficulty, every issue of pain, every, every issue. Jesus Christ has something to, to, to heal, to transform. But I'm telling you, it's, it's the hour for the church to carry the load with Jesus Christ. And how many would just say today, I want to sign up afresh and anew under the yoke. I want to see the ordinary human life that I live flooded with the reign and the rule, the purposes, power, provision, plans, and purposes of the God who is my master, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If that's you, can you just lift your hand? Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you've made the human heart so powerful, a desire factory. And I thank you, Lord, that you've made freedom possible today to everyone here on this grass lawn and everyone watching online. You have made a way to be set free from narratives that promise so much but can never deliver because the only story that can save, set free, heal, and give me an eternal plan and purpose is the story that revolves around you, Jesus Christ. Your life, your ministry, your death, resurrection, ascension, and soon return. And I thank you, Lord, right now for depositing that resolve to say yes to your yoke, to continue in your word, to transform us from the inside out. Father, we long to be those people who, unlike our original passage, who make empty claims and empty promises while we're slaves to the very thing we're naming as evil. Lord, would we be those people that when we speak and issue the invitation, you too can follow and love and treasure Jesus. It's the best. It's amazing that, Lord, when we release those words, they sever lies, they break through ties, they, they release, Lord, your truth and your light and your love and your glory, and that, Lord, that we would see hundreds, thousands, millions coming in to the class with Jesus as our master, teacher, and king, and savior. 
they would sign up with us. And so today, Lord, we just say we sign up again to be your students, to be your children. And I pray, Lord, right now, if anyone's suffering under the tyranny of the weight of their sin, I pray that that Jesus Christ would show up right now and would say, man, I can free you from that. And so, Lord, loose your freedom in this place. Loose your healing. Loose your grace, Lord, your mighty love to transform your people and to establish them in a new kingdom called the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you for the gospel today. I thank you for your, your opulent, abundant provision that is always found in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, loose that provision for those who so desperately need it, like myself. We pray in Jesus' mighty name, and we all said amen, amen. and amen and amen. If you, if you need more help to, to follow Jesus, I'll be right here. Andrew.